I uh, read to you from the number one bestseller of all time. Um, that has been tried to have been stamped out and certainly been ridiculed. People have lost their lives translating it into different languages. People have died for the truth of this word and are still dying for the truth that's contained in this word. And may I read to you some words today that from the psalmist David that were written 3,000 years ago. They're ancient words. And I bring, I, I take comfort in reading ancient words, things that have stood the test of time, things that are not new and newfangled and just came down the pipe. Um, churches are gathering all over this world today and, and reading from this book. A hundred years ago, churches gathered all over this world and were reading from this book. Five hundred years ago, churches were gathering, reading from this book. First century, people were reading from this book. Even 3,000 years ago, the psalmist David penned the words that we know today as Psalm 23. They're ancient words for modern problems. They're ancient words for uh, modern man. The psalmist David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those words may be in some of the first words that some of you memorized of Scripture. Our boys have memorized those words and frequently after prayer time in the evening we'll, we'll finish our prayer time by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. Ancient words for modern problems and one of our modern problems is what we're talking about today. A discontentment. And if you read some other Paul, Paul's Psalms, he's He's talking about how discouraged he is. And he's talking about, you know, Saul, the King Saul has been chasing him. King Saul wants to kill him. And he said, oh God, oh God, you know, come bail me out of this situation. Then you read Psalm 23 and it sounds completely different. And I just, I just wonder, and I'm speculating, I don't know this to be true, but I, I'm just wondering, um, was he writing this almost to remind himself of the truth? He was not declaring this great truth that he totally can wrap his mind around but even during difficult times was David writing this and then singing it because it was a song and to remind him of the truth that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want um, one of the things reasons you come to church is not to learn new things but it's to be reminded of things that you already know. 
Maybe David was writing something he already knew, but he needed to be reminded. And I know this, but I need to be reminded as well that the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not want. Matt's going to lead us in that little chorus. It's, it's probably new for some of you. The song really never caught on too much. But if you'd like to sing, sing along just in the chorus of ancient words, please feel free to do so. Ancient words ever true Changing me, changing you We have come with open hearts Let the ancient words impart Ancient words ever true Changing me, changing you We have come with open hearts Let the ancient words impart Ancient words ever true Changing me, changing you We have come with open hearts Let the ancient words impart And Father, of course, we know that the key to that is open hearts no matter how true and life-changing this word can be for us, it, it does us no good if our hearts aren't open. So I pray for us today that there is not resistance to truth today. I pray that you will get through to all of our hearts in whatever condition they're in. Father, there may be new people in here today that are not convinced that this is the truth of your word. May they, may they just be open today. Father, there's, there may be some people in here that have been in church years and years and years and they've got some kind of feeling in them that, uh, you know, same old, same old. They're not quite as open as they used to be. By miracle of your grace and by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you open their hearts right now? And Father, there may be some people in here that are just dealing with so many difficulties of life that it's just it's hard to hear sometimes and so Father by your grace and by a miracle of your Holy Spirit would you open their hearts admit their grief, admit all the heartache in their life, admit the stuff that's weighing them down, would you open their hearts to the truth that the Lord is their shepherd and because of that they shall not want. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ancient words for, for modern problem. I'm not sure how modern the problem of discontentment is. As I said, I'm speculating and wonder when David writes this, if he's struggling with discontentment even himself and writing the what he knows to be the truth in a way to remind him or even convince him once again. Um, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were not 
satisfied with what God gave them. They reached for more. God gave them a lot. God gave them a whole lot. But there was one thing that was off limits for them, and they could not say enough. They had to reach for what God said no, and they had to reach for more. And uh, you know the difficulties that we struggle with even today because of the choice of our very first parents. Encouraging today to say yes to enough. We're in a series of messages, kind of upside down Lenten series. In Lent, you usually um, give things up for Lent, and you say no to some things. And we're just kind of doing something different. And said, let's let's try an upside down Lenten series, and let's say yes to some things. We talked last week about saying yes to the small things. If you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to try to check that podcast out. It's just unbelievably important. If you're not even a Christian, if you're not even a Christian, you need to check that out because that is a life principle, and all life's truths are somewhere rooted in God's Word. And we said last week that, that, that the accumulation of small things makes big things happen. And even if you're not a believer of God's Word, and if you're not a Christian today, that's a life principle that we need to be able to to wrap our minds around and it just so happens it's rooted very deeply in God's word this morning I want to encourage you encourage myself as I studied this message now for over two weeks that that we would say yes to enough uh, discontentment is bred into our society is it not our our very capitalism the very way our our Society functions, while maybe it's not perfect, it's probably the best system that's ever been in, in, invented. Capitalism is, is pretty much based on people being discontented, wanting more and wanting the newest and the best and the upgrade. And that discontentment fuels new inventions and that discontentment fuels new purchases and which makes our whole society be able to operate and be able to run and no longer do we talk not as much about new and improved things coming out we use the word upgrade there's always upgrades coming out it's no longer good enough to have the iphone i guess you just started with an iphone one didn't you i don't know we even laugh. <laughs> Who has an iPhone 1? <laughs> Those poor people. But we're, we're made to salivate now for the iPhone 6, and that certainly will make phone calls better than the iPhone 5, I'm sure. And <laughs> uh, I, our, our system of capitalism, while not perfect, it's certainly probably the best we is, that we have, but it's, it's built on wanting more and wanting something new. You know, we were behind the times, but uh, two years ago we bought a flat screen TV and I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> Still got a 27 inch down the basement and I looked at it the other day. It's weird looking, got, got them things sticking out the back of it. It's not flat, it's just... But I'm, but I'm proud that I've entered into the modern age now and have a, 
have a flat screen TV, but as I was reading the internet this morning, um, I became discontented and um, depressed and not cool anymore um, because I was reading an article that says that my flat screen TV is outdated. Does your HD TV just not seem as sleek and sexy as it once was? <laughs> Since when does your TV have to be sexy? I just never. I... <laughs> if the allure of having a flat panel display mounted to your wall just isn't enough anymore. The completely see-through in Vizio might be just what you're looking for. I didn't know I was looking for anything. Let me play that video and let's, let's look at the newest and greatest. Oh, look at you, look at you. Matt, you want one, don't you? I know, Matt's a TV freak. Listen to the murmur around everybody. Nothing wrong with new inventions and technology getting better. Our world is is better today because of some discontentment. There there was somewhere along the line somebody got tired of of making a phone call and you call the lady at the switchboard downtown and she unplugs this and plugs that in. I guess I'm glad that we don't have that anymore. You know, when I grew up and we had this. The teens aren't laughing because they have no clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so I'm really glad that somebody came along and invented beep, 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 beep. You know, we love to go to my mama and papa Collins' house because mama and papa Collins had two things that were really pretty cool for the mid-60s. They had an air conditioner in one of their bedrooms. And as God is my witness, we would go visit Mama and Papa and go back. It was in Papa's bedroom. We would go back and sit in Papa's 10 by 10 bedroom where the air conditioner, there was no TV in there. We just go back and sit and we called it the air conditioned room. (laughs) And we thought we were just so cool. And literally, company come over, we'd go sit in the air-conditioned room. <laughs> they also had something that was very cool, too, that, that my brother and I especially liked. In the mid-60s, they had something brand new. Uh, they had a color TV. And people came over to watch Lawrence Welk on color TV. Y'all don't know who Lawrence Welk is either, do you? I know. <laughs> Well,
When I grew up in Lexington, this would have been in the early 70s. Um, we had Channel 18, that was NBC. We had Channel 27, that was CBS. And if you, if you moved the rabbit ears just right, you could get Channel 36, and that was ABC. And that, we had three channels. And it was really bad when the president was making a speech. That's all you could see, you know. I mean, you didn't have, you couldn't go to any other channel to be able to do that. My mom and dad had a black and white TV till probably the mid-70s. And now that stuff looks so weird. And they didn't know, you know, they were satisfied with their black. I, I bought them their first black and white TV, their first color TV, excuse me. I bought it. They were satisfied. They, they were happy with it. Um, discontentment and contentment, it's a hard thing to talk about because there's some good discontented things, uh, good things about discontentment. I mean, I mean there's, uh, color TVs are good things. I'm not here saying that you Christians ought to have black and white. It's a good, it's a good thing to have a color TV. You know, my, we didn't tell my boys until they were about nine that there was a thing called King's Island. We didn't tell them. Because we wanted them to be satisfied with Coney Island because it only cost like $12 to go to Coney Island. <laughs> and we knew as soon as we took them to King's Island, it was over. Coney Island was gone. I grew up, and Coney Island was a big deal, man, right? Big deal to go to Coney Island. Discontentment is, is, is weird because we've got good things in life because of, of discontentment. We've got a lot of good inventions because of discontentment. We, we, we've got a lot of new things that make our life better because of discontentment. Uh, somebody was discontented with with the way that we communicate one with another. And back in the early 70s, somebody came out with this big old thing that was about as big as this, really. It was the first cell phone. And we're glad that there are such things as cell phones now. We're glad that there are such things as com computers now. Uh, that, that discontentment can fuel good things, but even in the midst of all of that discontentment, we have God's Word that said, Godliness with contentment is great gain, uh, 1 Timothy 6. Paul teaching his younger protege in the faith, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. So we, we, we understand this thing about discontentment. It's not always bad to be discontented. And how can you tell me it's bad, Mark, that, that I may want some new things? Because after all, my, my van's got 150,000 miles on it, and I'm not even sure that I can drive it to visit my mother in, in West Virginia. And... Totally wanting things is not totally bad. We know that. But we still have scriptures that tell us to be content. And so I want to deal with that just a little bit today and, and try to teach me, and maybe by trying to convince me of this, that you can learn from what I've tried to learn about the importance of, of saying yes to enough. One of the scriptures that's really, really impactful in all this is Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes this from a Roman jail. He's in jail, and I could go on and on about that, but he's in a Roman jail, and he writes words that we are very, very familiar with. Do we have Philippians chapter 4? 
Uh, he has just received a gift from the Philippian church. And so one of the things he does in this letter is a thank you note. And he comes to the end of Philippians and he's getting to his thank you. And he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Thank you for your gift, and, and you've renewed your concern. Well, we don't know what the gift was. It, it could have been money. You know, in prison in those days, you didn't get three meals a day. You, you had to literally buy everything, or someone had to bring you food. So they may have given him money so he could be able to buy food and, and may have given him money so he could be able to buy a blanket or something. I don't know, but they've renewed their concern for him. And not, not that I was really in need, Paul says, but I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul in a Roman jail says, I have learned to be content. We infer from that that it's just not something you automatically have. We infer from that that when you become a Christian, you don't automatically become content. That it's a process of learning how to become content. That you learn that God can be trusted. That you learn that God is faithful. That you can learn that He will provide for you. That you can learn that He will be able to protect you. You can learn that He's got your back. You have to learn all of that. You have to learn that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. And He says, I've learned that. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to be an honest preacher. I get paid to do what I'm doing and preach you God's Word. But I've got to be honest with you. I don't think I can be able to honestly stand in front of you today and say that I've learned to be content. I would have to be honest and say I'm learning. I'm learning. I don't have this thing wrapped around my little finger. And, and if I was sitting in a Roman jail like the Apostle Paul was, I don't think I, I would be able to have it in me right now to say I, I, I'm content. I'm learning. So let's, let's learn with the apostle this morning. And he says, I've learned to be content. Now, what's the word content mean? Well, you know, if you, if you look in the original language, the word content literally means, listen to this, the word content literally means self-sufficient. And those of you, some of you are, are kind of frowning right now and saying, wow, that doesn't even sound very Christian, self-sufficient. That sounds secular. That sounds relying on your own self. And, and, and Paul says, you know, I've learned to be self-sufficient. But what Paul says as he continues to unpack that, that self-sufficiency is something that I have inside of me. It's not dependent on external circumstances, want or plenty or whatever it is. It's something I have inside of me, and he calls it a secret there in verse 12. And what's a secret? He gives it to you in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. I have Christ living inside of me, Christ in me, the hope of glory, bringing with him all the glorious things to come. He, it, Literally, God is with him, and Christ is, is within him, and, and he has the fellowship of Jesus with him. And because of that, he says that I, that's the secret, man. And he, and, he, and he says, you know, I've learned to be content when I'm in want or I have plenty. Now, that's a fascinating thing. I've learned to be content even when I wanted things. So being content doesn't mean that I have everything I want. 
Because Paul says he's learned to be content even when he was in want. I mean, I'm not making it up. It's right there. I've learned to be content even when I'm in want or in plenty. So the fact that I may want something, the fact that my family lives in a thousand square foot home and we've got three kids and we're just absolutely, the walls are crowding in on us and, and, and we'd like a space that my wife and I could just get by ourselves for a little bit in a separate living room, family room, and that can be a good and a godly and a wonderful thing. And I may want that, but Paul says you can want things and still be content. That's, 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 that's pretty fascinating. I, I, I may want a different job. I may, I may want a pay raise. I, I may, Paul says when he was in want, he was still content. So, so the idea of saying yes to enough is not that I have all that I need. Enough is, is not that I have, is not found in what I have. Enough is not found in what I have. It's found in who has me. The Apostle Paul says he was in want, but he was still content. And, I, and, and I've learned the secret of being content. What's the secret, Paul? 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I, I would, would like to be out of Roman jail right now. So contentment is not, I have all that I want. Contentment is not even maybe that I have all my needs met. But I have Christ. And because I have Christ, I can deal with whatever situation comes my way. Good, bad, up, down, hot, cold, life, death. Paul says it's a secret. It's a secret. It's a mystery. That word can be translated mystery. And it is a mystery. And some of you right now are even not even knowing what I'm talking about. Or, and it's hard to be able to, to apply it to your life. And it's even hard for me to be able to explain it. But let me tell you, if you've got Jesus, you just you can deal with stuff. Saying yes to enough is not that I have everything. It's not found in, in what I have, but it's found in... And who has me? Who's got my back? Who am I leaning on? The Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. I just wonder, how many psalms do you read from, from, from David that he's, he's downright depressed? Read them. He's downright depressed. So is he reminding himself that the Lord is his shepherd? And because the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. One of the things that really attracted me to Sue when we first started dating in 1994 or 5, whenever it was, is God is my witness. One of the things that attracted me to her in 1990, we'll say it was 1995. In 1995, she had a black and white TV. Told me a lot about her. Because it was really uncool to have a black and white TV. 
And if you were any, if you had any level of coolness at all, you had a color TV. But she invites this young beau into her house and doesn't give a rip what I think about that. Doesn't, think if I th- doesn't care if I think she's out of date. Doesn't care if I think she's old-fashioned. Get with it. Get with the times. It attracted me to her that she had a black and white TV because it told me something about her. She didn't have to put on airs for people. She didn't have to please other people. And if I couldn't deal with her in a black and white TV, I wasn't the guy that she needed anyway. And in some weird way, one of the first things that attracted me to her with her sense of confidence in what she had and okay with what she didn't have. Now, I bought her a color TV a few months later. (laughs) I got tired of watching that black and white, you know. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 13. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, and we don't know who that is. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews 13, 5, talks about this same subject. Uh, Keep your lives free from the love of money. Remember, money is not the root of all evil. The love or the lust of money. Jesus never said money is the root of all evil. Money is good and proper. We need it as a means of exchange, and it's nothing wrong with money. It's a love of money. It's a lust of money. The, The love of money... Keep your lives free from that and be content with what you have. And why should you be content with what you have? I asked the Hebrew writer. And he says, because God has said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. How can I be content? It's saying the same thing that Paul said. It's in, it's in, it's in who has you. It's not, it's not in what you have, it's in who has you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Verse 6 goes on to say, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Some translations say, What can mere man do to me? You see what the Hebrew writer says? Same thing that Paul says. It's, It's not in what you have. It's in who has you. It's in who's got your back. It's who's got your back. Who's providing for you? Where does your confidence lay? I've told you this a few times, at least once before, but some of you endure this story again, and it'll be new to some of you, but I was here about three years, and and I had a very good friend of mine come into my office, and she did me a great favor, and she said, Mark, I heard a rumor, and I, I needed to go to the horse's mouth about it. She did me a great, great favor, 
She, she said, I, I heard that you have made sexual advance on so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Oh, excuse me, one person, so-and-so. And I just had to come to ask you, look you square in the eye, Mark, and say this is true. Mark, you've done so much to help rebuild my confidence in pastors, and I, I just, I've got to come ask you this. And I told her there's not an ounce of truth to that. It's accused of, 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 of making some advance and, and the girl pushing me away, and there's not an ounce of truth to it. I told her there wasn't an ounce of truth to it. Got on the phone, called my district superintendent, who is my, my denominational boss, told him about it, said, we've got to tackle this issue. Called a board meeting for the very next night so I could tell the board, let the board in on it. When we got with the board meeting the next night, told them what the situation was, and didn't mention any names and who the accuser was or anything, but I appointed a little committee of three people to be able to investigate this and turn, don't leave any stone unturned. I had some good friend of mine on the board say, well, Mark, we, we believe that you didn't do this. I said, that's not good enough. You owe it as leaders of this church to investigate this. And, and I want you to investigate this because I don't want to leave any doubt in anyone's mind. So that little group of three investigated, were going to investigate it. Well, the, the day I heard that, the day the person came to me and told me that, I obviously went home that evening and told Sue right away. And then I told Sue, and then I grabbed the boys and went to Kings Island. And so we were at Kings Island, and it was kind of weird as I was standing in line for a roller coaster, and I thought, it's kind of weird that my ministry can be ruined here. Because it's just a false accusation that can ruin you, whether you're a school teacher or a pastor or, or any, I mean, just the accusation can ruin you. So I thought, well, isn't, it, isn't it odd here that my ministry could be ruined, but I'm in line for a roller coaster at Kings Island? Isn't that odd? Shouldn't I be home worrying about it? Sh shouldn't I be fretting about it? Sh And God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but he just kind of impressed on my spirit. He says, Mark, I got your back. And you know I have your back. That's why you can go to Kings Island. And, and I, I knew that he was going to take care of me. Let's just say that the church unjustly fired me. He still take care of me. I was innocent. I knew I was innocent. The Bible says I've never let seen the righteous forsaken. He said, I'll never leave you, never forsake you. So how can I go to King's Island? I know who's got my back. Now, while I was in at King's Island, I got a phone call from the person that accused me. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not, it's not true. It's just got all blown out of proportion. And I'll write, a, I'll, I'll stand in front of the church. I'll write a letter just crying, crying. And that little committee of three did their job and investigated it. And the lady wrote a letter saying nothing to it. And we have a copy of that letter in that office there and a copy of the letter in the district office. 
But I went to Kings Island the night I was accused of sexual impropriety. And how could I do that if I didn't know that the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. I'm not here to tell you that um, you're evil for wanting to make a lot of money. I'm not here to tell you that that you shouldn't go buy that new sports car. That has nothing to do with anything that I'm saying. What I'm saying is what I think Jesus says about everything. It's about why you want to make all that money. It's about why you want that sports car. It's about why you want that new furniture, new house, new iPhone, new whatever it is. Because if you think your life, satisfaction, fulfillment, completeness is going to be in the house or the job or the money, you got a problem, according to God's Word. And the Christian is to find their success and their happiness and their completion in their fulfillment, in their wholeness in Christ. Paul was in want. Paul says, I want this thorn taken away from me. And I prayed three times about it. But God says, I'm not going to take that away from you, Paul. My grace is good enough for you. Basically, learn to live with it, Paul. And maybe, Paul, I'm telling you to learn to live with it because I'm trying to teach you that that my grace will get you through. That my grace is sufficient. And you know what the word sufficient in that passage, my grace is sufficient, you know what it means? It doesn't mean like sufficient, like overflowing. Literally, it means just enough. This This is pretty serious Christian teaching, isn't it? As I've tried to understand what it means to be contented, even tried to define the word, I had a really hard time. And I, I studied a lot and read a lot and what other people said and thought and, 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 and on definitions of contentment. And I wasn't satisfied with any of them until I read one this morning at 6 o'clock that I thought was better than all the rest. And Sinclair, Sinclair Ferguson is a theologian, and he says um, contentment, listen, he says contentment is the fruit of the fact that your greatest ambition is to belong to the Lord. Contentment is the fruit of the fact that your greatest ambition is to belong to the Lord. There can be nothing better than that. You mean, Mark, your greatest ambition is not to be a great husband to Sue? No, it's not my greatest ambition. Mark, you mean your greatest ambition is not to be a good father? To your boy, no, it's not my greatest ambition. Mark, you mean your greatest ambition is not to build a big church? No, that's not my greatest ambition. My greatest ambition is to belong to God, lock, stock, and barrel. Because I think if I belong to God, lock, stock, and barrel, I'll be the spouse, father, pastor, you name it. The Lord is my shepherd. 
shall not want. Some of you saw the movie back in the 90s, maybe, I don't know, Cool Runnings, about the Jamaica Mon bobsled team. Back in, what was it, the 88 Olympics that Jamaica did this really weird thing and they entered a bobsled team. And it's a story of that. And as the story in the movie goes, that they were coached by an American who won two gold medals but was disgraced in bobsledding because in trying to win the third one, he cheated. And so he was somehow trying to rebuild his name and was doing that trying to coach the Jamaican team, which really didn't have too much of a chance of anything, you know. And so the night before they were doing a trial run or whatever, and one of the, one of the bobsledders asked the coach why he got disqualified or why he cheated. What did, you know, why did he do that? And he says, winning, winning another gold medal was the most important thing to me. And the young Jamaican bobsledder who wanted to win a gold medal, really, he got that. And then the coach goes on and says, winning a gold medal is a really good thing. But I'll never be okay with the gold medal if I'm not okay without it. I learned that I'll never be okay with the gold medal if I'm not okay without it. He won two gold medals, but he was saying more, 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 more. And it would be great if he won a third. But there had to be something in him that didn't make him have to win the third for completion, fulfillment, satisfaction, contentment, whatever you want to say. So friends, I just came to you today to tell you a subject that I'm, I'm trying to figure out in my life. And trying to learn the difference between a holy discontentment and a discontentment that could be really wrong or sinful. Trying to learn what it means to be content Trying to learn to lean on him and to just know that he'll never leave me, never forsake me. He's got my back. Usually with sermons, us preachers, we try to come up with some kind of little snappy conclusion, you know, that really hammers home the truth. And so we try to do that in our own words. But this morning, let me just let God conclude. And let's let God hammer home the truth, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. This translation says, I lack nothing. Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Our servers are preparing to be able to come. 
as we come to the table this morning, we're learning about another area that must be enough for us, right? There's a problem that we have in Christianity sometimes, and it's Jesus plus this and Jesus plus that. And but as you rest on the salvation of your soul, Jesus plus anything will damn you. It'll damn you to hell. It's okay that you have, I mean, the Bible dealt with that several places. It's okay that you be, have Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised too. I mean, the Bible dealt with those things. And so as you come this morning, uh, Jesus is enough in a lot of areas of your life, in this area of eternal life. He's all there is. He paid it all. And if you're leaning on any supposed goodness of your own, it'll damn you to hell. Father, help us to say yes to enough. Help us to know that enough is not in what I have, but in who has me. bless this time of tangible symbolic remembering that your body broken and your blood shed is enough help us during this time of our worship in Jesus name